why don't you all stand with me? Um, and in your chair, you should have a little note card. Uh, in September, we started going through the book of Proverbs, and we're getting ready to head down the home stretch this week and last week, or this week and next week will, will be the last ones that we go through. And so this week, we're going to talk about contentment. Um, so if you would, just read along with me. Stand as we read. Um, I'll read, and then I'll pray, and we'll begin. Uh, Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. Better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong. Don't be agitated by evildoers and don't envy the wicked. For the evil have no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Instead, always fear the Lord. For then you will have a future and your hope will not be dashed. Ill-gotten gains do not profit anyone. But righteousness rescues from death. The Lord will not let the righteous go hungry but he denies the wicked what they crave. The one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word uh, because it is a reflection of who you are, stable, constant, sure, Father, I pray in this shifting world that we would hold on to you, our solid rock, for Father. Would you remind us of all that we have in you? Would you make us those that are content, that live life, not relaxed, but live life rested? Father, we ask that you would grant us the rest that our hearts so desperately long for today as we read and hear your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure to go on ahead and take your seats. Don't miss the forest for the trees. I'm sure you've heard that said before. Don't miss the forest for the trees. That's just a helpful way of saying sometimes um, our focus on specific and particular things can blind us to the sameness of a bunch of things. Right? And we all come into this room with very specific resolutions, goals, hopes, dreams. And we can look and feel like we're this room and a bunch of, uh, that we're a bunch of trees here in this room. But I want to remind you all that we're a forest, right? Christian or not, man, woman, gay, straight, rich, poor, we're a forest. one level, we're the same. What I'm not saying is that there's not major differences between us. There is. But what I am saying is that there's sameness, especially when it comes to this, what it is that we want out of life, right? You may say, well, John, I'm not too sure. I don't know if I want the same thing out of life that the rest of the folks uh, in here want. And you're 
focusing on the specifics, right? I want a house. I don't want a house. I want to be married. I want to live in Atlanta. I don't want to live in Atlanta. I want lots of money. I don't care about money. I want to go, like, all of those things are things that may be unique to us, but do you know what we have in common? The fact that we all want. Everybody wants something. We all see that there's a lack of something that I have and I need more of it. And look, here's what makes us the same. It's not just that we all want something. I think it's that we all want the same thing. And the the thing that we all want is contentment. Right? Think of everything that you want in life now that you don't have. And we think of all the work, all the running, all the striving that we have to do to try to get those things. But why do you work and run and strive and grind? You work and run and strive and grind so that one day you won't have to work and run and strive and grind. Nobody wants to just run and strive for the rest of their life. We all want to run and strive so that at the end of the day we can rest. And here's the problem. A lot of us in here don't feel rested. And a lot of us here have been running and striving and running and striving, regardless of how much that you have. I anticipate that there's something in your life where you say and feel, I need more. As you set your resolutions for the top of the year, Who in here made a goal to have less of something that was not weight? We all want more. But we spend our lives running and striving. Is it possible to find contentment in this life? I think that there has to be. And I think that there is. That's why the top of your sheet right here says contentment, because I think Proverbs helps to answer this for us. It's been a while since we've been here in the book, so let me give you the 30,000-foot view of the book. Proverbs is all about wise living, right? The premise of the book is this. Uh, In order to live well in the world, you need something more than morality, right? You can be a good person and still make very bad choices that'll wreck your life. You need instruction. You, You need to know how to live well. So Solomon writes this book, well, him and a group of folks, uh, and I shouldn't even use the word right, they compile this book in order to help people learn how it is that they're to live wisely. This book was compiled by a bunch of folks. Solomon is the front runner, so if the book was written by like a Destiny's Child, he would be the Beyonce of this book. There's a bunch of other people that sing, but we know Solomon. Solomon writes this book to help us do two things, to avoid trouble and to deal with it when it comes. And when it comes to contentment, if you don't know how to be content in this life, you will run yourself into the grave. Contentment is a manner of life and death. So Solomon helps us learn what it means to be content. And there's four points here on the sheet. Um, as you can see, and I think the best way to think of this is, right, point one is going to talk about our head, what we need to know. Point two is going to talk about our heart, what we need to feel. Uh, 
the things that I'm saying are not the things that go in the blank. It's just a way to uh, feel that. Point three is going to talk about our hope. And then the last point is going to talk about our hands, what we need to do. So what we need to think, what we need to feel, what we need to hope in, and what we need to do. Here's the, the first point. If you want to be content in this life, the very first thing that you have to do is you have to change your perspective. You have to change your perspective. Um, since the fourth grade, I've worn glasses. My eyesight is terrible. Um, I cannot get into the car without corrective lenses, right? And it's just the way that I see the world is off. I went to a doctor and they said, John, the way you see the world is off, so you need corrective lenses. The Bible's going to tell us the same thing. Hey, y'all, the way that you see the world, the way that you see the key to your contentment is off. You need to change your perspective. And so we get these four scriptures that all say, right, better than, better than, better than. And what you'll notice is that the thing it says is better is not what we think is better. So he's constantly going to compare. He's going to give this relative value. And the point that he's trying to get at is this. Um, More does not equal better. Less does not equal worse. Relative value, right? But in the same token, less does not equal better and more like 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 more is not bad right so a prosperity theology where it says if you have a lot god really loves you can be just as harmful as a poverty theology if you don't have anything then god love, lo- loves you more that's not what he's saying what he's saying is don't live your life as if more is better cuz that's not true but he also goes on and it's not just he doesn't just, just talk about things that are relative uh, worth. He talks about uh, that this truth, that you and I should be cautious about having an abundance or a bunch, is relevant all across the board. Look there at 16 verse 8. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. It's true about your income and what you make. 16, 19. Better to be of lowly spirit with the humble than to divide the plunder with the proud. That term divide the plunder is a war term used for people that won in battle and now they sit down and they split up all of their winnings. And what he's saying is, yo, it's better for you to not have much, to be surrounded by losers, for all intents and purposes, if they're filled with a humility, then to have a bunch of people with pride. Verse 17.1, he goes on and says this, look, better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. He's not saying there's anything wrong with feasting. What he is saying is it would be better for you to have that one piece of bread at the end of the loaf that nobody likes in a house full of people that you like than to feast with people that cause you shock. And you know this is true. Y'all have stayed, we've, we've stayed away from parties because we ask who's going to be there? Nah, if they're going to be there, I'd much rather be at home with the end of this loaf, right? <laughs> so his main point is just this. Look, 
If you live more is better if you live like that, he's saying it's a childish and a wrong way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, childish likeness. You take any kid that doesn't know anything about money and you can convince him to trade four pennies for a quarter. I got more. All of it's money. You want that one quarter or you want four of these? And any kid will trade because in their mind, more means more valuable. And the point here is if we're ever going to be content, we have to outgrow that way of thinking. And outgrowing that way of thinking doesn't just come with age. You go to the Bible and there's a story of this guy, the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to have eternal life? And Christ says, keep, keep all the laws. And so he's like, yo, all, uh, I've done all of this since my youth. And Christ tells him, he sees that this man thinks that more is better. And he says, yo, go and purge yourself of all of that more. And then you'll find true life. And it says that this rich man, with all of his possessions, listen, walks away empty and sad. So the Bible tells us to be cautious about plenty because this. Having plenty is not the avenue to happiness. And having plenty is not the antidote to sadness. More does not equal better. So a question for you, as you start to set your goals and chart for the new year, where has this thinking crept in? Here's one quick way that you can see if this has crept into your life. Whatever goal, if you want, you know, a better job, you know, more money, more status, more fame. Does every opportunity to get more feel like an obligation? Does every chance that you have to get more feel like, I just can't turn this down? A quick way to do this is the next opportunity that you get, ask yourself, is this an opportunity, something that I can pass on, or is it an obligation, something that I have to have? If you can't tell the difference, it may be that you've believed that more is better. And the first thing that we have to do if we're going to find contentment is you and I have to change our perspective. And it's easier said than done, right? Mentally, it makes sense, right? It's clear. More is not better. But you and I are more than just brains. We're people that exist in souls. We have hearts. We're emotional beings. So it's not just think this way and then go do. The very first thing is change your perspective. And once we change our perspective, or at least are willing to entertain that more is not better, the next thing that we do is this point two. Check your passions. Check your passions. Passions are the way that the ancients used to use to refer to emotions. Your emotions gossip. They tell on you. They tell where it is that you are. They tell what you think are the most important things about your life. And here we see one of the most important passions or emotions when it comes to contentment is envy. Look there at 2419. 
Don't be agitated by evildoers, and don't envy the wicked, for the evil have no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Instead, always fear the Lord, for then you will have a future, and your hope will not be dashed. Both of those start off with this. Don't envy. Don't envy, right? And so the first way to think of check your passions is to make sure uh, that you are in control of your emotions and your emotions aren't in control of you. So we have to check them. We have to remember uh, emotions are great for telling us where we are and where we should be. Emotions are terrible behind a steering wheel making every decision for us. Envy is this. It is when somebody else has what you want or they are who you desire to be. Envy awakens discontentment. And discontentment is this. I don't have what I want or I don't want what I have. It's this disconnect in between our wants and haves. I don't have what I want. I don't want what I have. And envy is this burning hot anger inside of you when you don't get it that might end up in you doing something evil or wrong or bailing on standards that you have. So think of where you've envied. Yeah, maybe somebody that hasn't lived as faithfully as you have, get a job that you wish that you would have had. Somebody that has not honored God in the way that they've treated men or women, but got married before you did. Somebody that hasn't um, read and accepted or lived with God's standards when it comes to how they interact sexually, but they seem more fulfilled than you do. That what you start to say is, I don't know why I've been faithful. Psalm 73 is, is all about this. A guy that's saying, yo, God, I'm trying to do what you call me to do when I look out in the world and everybody else is fine. I'm on Instagram and they're smiling, right? Their bodies are all like smooth and clean and here I am trying to do what you've called me to do and it's frustrating. And what envy and discontentment will do is make you say, I don't know why I've done this. I'm going to go ahead and do what I've kept myself from. I'm going to bail on God's standard. I'm going to turn my back on that. What happens? Our passions, our emotions are completely in control and they decide how we relate to our principles. And so the thing is here is if you're ever going to be content, you've got to learn how to check those things. And here's what makes it so hard. The world that we live in and the economy that we live in is built to make you discontent. It's built to make you envy. Instagram, right? So there's nothing wrong with it. It's not bad. I have an Instagram account. I don't really use it that well, but I have one. Um, I was reading up this past week, and do you know how Instagram started? It wasn't called Instagram. It was an app called Bourbon. This guy loved to drink bourbon. 
And so what he did is he wanted to create a location-based software so he can track his friends, right? So that, hey, if I've had a good bourbon, I can type in that I'm here and that my friends can come and we can meet up in person and enjoy and have a great time. The app was a colossal failure. So we stepped back and he said, all right, what do folks use this app for? And he found out what was successful about the app was not folks trying to share what's good and invite folks to spend time with them. What was successful about the app was the photo sharing that people saw and liked and commented. And they found out, oh, this is where the money is. Not in connecting people, but creating a place where people can see spots that they wish that they could be, but aren't. And, and the economy and the world that we live in is based on capitalizing off of envy or discontentment. That's why every year there's a new iPhone that comes out when yours works just fine. <laughs> I bought the XS and my 8 worked just fine, but there's this discontentment, there's this envy. The antidote that he gives here, right, you see both of those, don't envy, but look at what he says in 2420, for the evil have no future, 2318, for then you will have a future. The way that, that we cure ourselves of this is not to focus on the present, but focus on the future. And here's where I say that our world is set up to frustrate us or to keep us discontent. What social media and stuff like that tends to do, and again, this is not an attack against it. I'm just trying to use it as an illustration. Um, Instagram or things like that, do you know what they do? They fossilize the present. Yes. <laughs> no. So it's a... So it, it gives us insight and it makes us feel as if the present, somebody's best present, filtered out, is what their life in, entails. So even if you and I aren't running, chasing, grinding, our hearts are still running, chasing, grinding as our thumbs are scrolling. Yo, 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 yo do, you, do you see what I mean by that? It's not saying that it's wrong. It's just saying, yo, this is what we're up against. There's always places, there's always things for us to envy, to compare ourselves to. And comparison is the enemy of contentment. What comparison does is it makes you and I preoccupied with two things. With us and with the present. With us and with the right now. And we don't just compare ourselves to somebody else. What our hearts do is we compare ourselves to the best of everybody else. So we create this composite person in our mind, and then we compare our life to their life. So it's like, oh, well, look at their body, their spouse, their money, their job, their friends. And although we wouldn't trade places with any one of them and take all of their problems when we compare our one life to the composite whole of the best of them, it leaves us feeling in despair and inadequate. 
I hurt my back about six months ago, and it's just now starting to get right. I went to physical therapy this past week, um, and as I get a chance and I sit down, I talk to uh, uh, Lana, my physical therapist, and what she says is, all right, John, I can already see why your, your back's messed up. You have horrible posture. You hunch over, right? Your back hurts now because you, you look in and you look down. You need to change your posture. You need to look up and look out. My back hurts because I have bad posture. Our souls hurt because we have bad posture. We're preoccupied with the present and with the now. So we look in and we look down. And as a result, we're driven to despair. And all we do is compare. But listen, if your souls had better posture, and we didn't spend our time looking at ourselves and down, but instead we look both up to God and out, not to the present, but to the future, to our destiny, then what we see is that helps to change how we envy. Nobody's present position is, is what it's going to be for all time. However you are right now, it's seasonal. Yo, yo, I had a job in high school where I was a seasonal employee, right? And they came and they said, all right, John, we're going to give you a badge and a name tag and a shirt just like the rest of these folks. But, but don't think that after Christmas you're still going to come here. We're going to take all of this back. Your employment is seasonal. What, 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 what he's saying here, look, look here at verse 2420. Look, he's like, yo, I, I know in this life you see people and you're frustrated because you think they're getting away with it and you wish that you had what they had, but he's saying, no, no, listen. The wicked, even though they may have prosperity, it's seasonal. Not going to have that shirt forever. They're not going to have, right? You can't spend your time and think that the present is the future. And so on one hand, it gives us comfort in knowing that nobody's going to get away with anything. But then in 23 verse 18, look, he says, don't let your hearts envy sinners. Instead, always fear the Lord. Look, for then you will have a future and your hope will not be dashed in the same way. For those of us that fear God or make God the absolute center of all that we do. If we feel like there's not a payoff right now, he's saying, listen, the present is not the future. What you're experiencing right now is seasonal. It may seem like you're at the bottom, but you have an indestructible hope. Do not let your emotions, you got to check them. They can't lead the way. They can't control. That's the first way that we have to check our passions. But here's the next way that we have to check our passions. Uh, not just in how, we di- or in how they direct us, but we need to check them in the way that you would go to the hospital for a checkup. Your passions do this. Your envy does this. It diagnoses where you are, what you want. Envy exposes what you feel like is your everything. 
It exposes what you feel like the meaning of life is. Envy exposes what you really want out of life. Look at what you envy and you'll find out what it is that you feel like completes you. What makes your center. Right? It may be a job. You may look at somebody else's job and instinctively think of, man, the freedom that they have, the money they get, the status, the recognition, the financial security. If I just had their job, then I would have all that I need. And that's just you saying what really matters in life, what really gives me worth, what I'm building my identity on is recognition, status, financial security. Or you may find yourself constantly envying somebody else's body or their beauty. And you look and say, man, I just wish that I had what they had. Man, I wish that I could walk into a room and turn heads like they did. And all that that says is what you feel like really makes you or what gives you your worth is your physical appearance. You may look back and envy somebody else's friendships or relationships that you think somehow being alone or unloved or not chosen diminishes your worth. And so you constantly find yourself Envy, discontent with what you have. Because you feel that all of those things make you. And do you know what it does? Comparison robs you of any type of joy in this life. Not just your own joy, but being able to share somebody else's joy. That if you really want that and your identity is built on how loved you are by somebody else, then your friends will get engaged and you'll smile, but it stings. Your friends will get promotion and you'll tell them you're happy for them, but it'll hurt. Your, peop- your friends will get complimented on their smile. And it'll make you feel all the more insecure or discontent about your teeth. You're discontent with where God has you. The antidote to this, look here at 23.17. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Instead, always fear the Lord. That's a term in the book of Proverbs that gives shape to this whole thing, Right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? Does it mean for you and I to be scared of God? No, the fear of the Lord is this, that you and I understand our place in the universe. We're small, we're tiny compared to God. It's not just that we get our place, but we acknowledge our dependence on God, that everything that I need, I find in him. And three, we're constantly aware of his presence. To fear God is to make God the absolute center of absolutely everything. And I want you to hear this, right? What he's trying to bring up here is if you don't fear God, if God is not the absolute center of absolutely everything, if you're not satisfied with the relationship that you have in God, nothing will be enough. Nothing will ever be enough. 
you go to the start of your Bible and what you don't find is Adam and Eve in a wilderness longing for something to eat and Satan comes and tricks them. What you find is Satan coming to people who had paradise. And do you know what? Paradise wasn't enough. Not just the testimony of the Bible, but ancient mythology, right, that tried to put the human condition into words. What you constantly find is mankind frustrated with a sovereign God, and it's not enough. If relationship with God is not enough, then the only thing that will be enough is you replacing God, you determining what your life is like, what you get, you calling all of the shots. Not just that. Look at 2420. It says this, for the evil have no future. Here's why they have no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. What he means is that if anything else is your center, you are setting yourself up for failure because everything is on a downward slope. If anything except for God is what you ultimately live for, listen, it can be outdone and it will be outdone. The job of your dreams will not last forever. The spouse of your dreams will die or you will. The beauty that you want will not last forever. Work, ha- work out as hard as you want to on turn 33 and you find out, yo, you got to work a little harder. And, and, and as time goes on, everything sags. Nothing that you have will last forever. Listen, and when it runs out, do you know what picks back up? Envy and discontentment. So we find ourselves trapped in this cycle. And the question is, how do we break free? Can I just say, all right, y'all, don't envy. Have a good Sunday. Walk out. No, right? We've talked about us being trapped. But here's the good news, right? Here's why we talk about the gospel or this good news. The good news is that somebody else has stepped in to intervene to fight a battle that you and I couldn't win, right? So, right, a bunch is made about the person of Jesus. We talk about how he's the point of this story. Listen to how Jesus helps us break free of this force that we can't fight. Jesus was, in fact, God. And we talked about how you and I, if we envy that at the end of the day, if relationship with God is not enough, that we're going to want to replace him and get him off of his throne, right? But God is not coming off of his throne. Nobody can unseat him from his throne. So what Jesus does in the person of God is he willingly gets off of the throne and comes down as a man, comes down as a baby. And you read the story of the gospel and what you find out is that King Herod, a guy who was king and had all the status and power in the region that he was in, heard news of a king that was to come, and he was threatened. And his kingship wasn't enough, and so do you know what he did? He envied this king to come. And so what he said is, I'm going to try to kill all the babies. 
So from the time that Christ came into the world, people who had it all were threatened by him. God preserved his life. Jesus grows up and becomes this this prophet with all strength. He's mighty. He's sharing about what God wants from people and what God wants for people. The religious leaders who had it all envied him. So much so that they said he has to die. Listen, and not just that he had to die, but their plan was let's give him the most unenviable death, crucifixion. That's not just that we kill somebody. It's that we put him up. We strip him of any status that he has. We strip him of any beauty that he has. We break his body down so much. We even put him on a tree where the Bible defines that or it talked about in Deuteronomy, this crucifixion was a sign that somebody was cursed by God. And so what they said is, let's give this man the most unenviable death to where nobody wants to trade places with him. And do you know what? It worked. Jesus gave up all the status that he had, was crucified like the worst of criminals. Jesus gave up all the beauty that he had, was stripped beyond recognition of a man. All of his friendships left him. As he's on the cross, he even cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was put in the most unenviable position where no one wanted to trade places with him. And that wasn't just a part of God's plan. That was God's plan. So then we read about Jesus being raised from the dead, and that's more than just the Easter story, him being raised from the dead. It comes with a promise, and the promise is this. Jesus has traded places with us. The life that he earned, the rewards that he got, you and I have. Him being raised from the dead comes with a promise that anybody that fears God or puts their trust in him and makes God the absolute center of absolutely Everything is freed in this life from envy because Jesus secures for us everything that we could have ever wanted. You talk about status, and a job is too low because a job will run out. Jesus got us the status of being sons of God. You talk about love, love will run out. We've seen it run out. We've seen people that we thought would love us forever turn their backs on us when they saw the worst about us. We've seen ourselves fall out of love with somebody else as we met somebody new. And what Jesus secures for us is a love that will never fade. It's secure. It's solid. You talk about family. Jesus brings us into a family that is secure, that will not break up. But all of this, all of this, y'all, listen, it comes in the form of a promise. It's like a check. 
Michael Irvin tells this story of when he signed his first contract, first big contract with the uh, Dallas Cowboys. $22 million of it was guaranteed. That means, Mike, if you get hurt, we're still going to pay you. So they asked him how he wanted the money. He said, in a check. So he comes into the locker room one day, looks at his locker, and there is a check for $22 million. And he picks up that check and he says, I'm rich. Listen, excuse me, he was in fact rich, but he didn't have the bags of money in his hand. Do you know what he had? A promissory note or a promise. And it was signed by Jerry Jones, so he knew if I take this to the bank, all the money that it promises me is good and it'll be there. The resurrection is Jesus Christ sealing God's promise that everything that we wanted for or envied or longed for, all the stuff that we tried to make our life about is found in Christ, in what he's done for us. And so we see this contentment. It is a present, but it's reserved for those that can look past the present. Contentment is a present, that's point three. For those who can look back, who don't mistake how things are right now for how they will be. And in order to do that, we rest in the promises of God that's been purchased for us in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. Point three and point four are both going to be much shorter than point two, so don't get worried. A present is not a reward. Right. Look, look at 10 to verse three. It says this ill gotten gains do not profit anyone, but righteousness rescues from death. Verse three, the Lord will not let the righteous go hungry, but he denies the wicked what they crave. What that helps us see is that when it comes to enjoyment, when it comes to contentment, God is the one that is the primary actor. Both of those are God. It says God will make sure that the righteous Right? Not those that do better, but those that trust in him. God will make sure that he provides for us all of what we need. It's ironic that he would said, God, the Lord will not let the righteous go hungry because we see that contentment is a gift, but contentment does not necessarily mean wealth or abundance. But then he goes on and says that, but he denies the wicked what they crave. And that's good news because it helps us see that wealth and abundance doesn't mean contentment. Charles Spurgeon says this, it's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy what we have that makes a man happy. And the gift of God is that whether it's a bunch or a little, if we look primarily for, for what he's done for us in Christ, that contentment is a present. It's a gift that he's provided for us. And lastly, y'all, if we'll change our perspective and be cautious about plenty, know that more is not better and less is not worse. If we'll check our passions, not let them lead the way 
and diagnose them to find out what we really live for and be reminded that that has to be ousted by living for the Lord. And we'll acknowledge that contentment is a present and it's a gift from God. Then what it'll do, point four, is it'll change our pursuits. Or your pursuits will be changed. It says right here, look, the one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. Uh, The reason why it brings that up is it's not saying that there's anything wrong with wine. Oil in this day was like used for cosmetics or perfume. So it's nothing wrong. It was smelling good, you know, your face being all nice. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is if those things are the absolute center of absolutely all that you do, uh, that's the quickest pathway to poverty. Leo Tolstoy writes this short story uh, called How Much Land Does a Man Need? And it's this man who dreams, who spends his whole life trying to get more land. That's what he thinks will bring him joy. And so what he does is he uh, works out a deal with these folks that said, hey, you create a starting point, you run in a circle, and you come back down, and whatever is in the middle of that circle is your land. He goes to sleep that night and has a dream that he wakes up dead at Satan's doorstep. And so he feels like, all right, I got to get up early and go to work. So what he does is he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs. Well, the sunset's starting to take place and he knows that he's so far from where he's at. So he spends his time and he runs really, really hard trying to get to the line. And as he's running and striving and running and striving, the townspeople cheer him because he's going to get all this land. He goes to the finish line. They cheer him and he drops dead from exhaustion. They dig a six foot plot and bury him in the ground and answer the question, how much land does a man need? What this is saying is if you make anything other than Jesus, the absolute center of absolutely all that you do It's a cup with a hole in the bottom and you can chase and run and chase and run and chase and run and grind. But however much you get, it's never going to make you content. But here's the promise at the end. The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love, look at these words, will find life, righteousness, and honor. Find it. Found it. It's settled. No more running to prove your worth, to get your validation, to prove that you're worth something. The good news of what God has done for us in Christ is this. My worth, my validation, my approval, that quest has been completely taken out of my hands and it's been decided in my favor. So there's rest. So you and I can spend our time not working or striving to prove that we're something, but we can live out of the overflow of what God has already done for us. And we get that, y'all. In worship, we get that in community as we find ourselves people who forget all of what God has done for us. And so we spend our time constantly reminding one another of the price that Jesus paid for us and the promises that he secured for us. And we change our posture. We don't look in and down. 
We look up to what God has done for us and out to what he's promised that he'll do in the future. And if we do that, we can stop chasing contentment because it's been decided for us and we can spend our life telling other people that are weary, ragged, tired, that they don't have to run for that anymore. They can run for something else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word to us. We're thankful uh, that the most important truth that we need, the rest that we long for, um, has been secured for us by you, Father. Help us to believe that, Lord. Help us to see that everything else in this life, although good, it has a hole in the bottom. I pray that you would help us to enjoy it all, but not to expect too much from it, Father. I pray that you would help us to transfer our trust from those things to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.